Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream. And we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right, welcome back to another episode of Between the Before and After. I went looking for Huntsville's most handsome trainer, and I couldn't find him, so instead they gave me Joe. <laughs> oh, man, right off the bat. Woo! <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Uh, how you doing, Joe? Oh, I'm having a great day. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm having a good day, too. Obviously, I'm in a jovial mood. Uh, we've chatted before. In fact, we originally talked about doing this all the way back in September of the previous year. So by the time you're listening to this, you're at least eight, we're at least eight months after the fact. So um, there's probably been a lot that's happened since we, we chatted last. I think you've just gotten more awesome. I think so, man. Every day happens every day. It does. It does. So where if people are looking for Huntsville's fittest trainer, I think this did you win that title? I did. Yeah. I don't know who the, who voted for it, but that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> so people are looking for Huntsville's um, fittest trainer. Um, wh where do they find you? And uh, uh, we're diving right into like, wh where are you at right now? So I'm in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, which is North Alabama. We're known as the Rocket City. So you okay. don't think Alabama, you don't think rockets and NASA and all that stuff. But uh, we actually have a, one of the highest concentrations of PhDs in the world right here in North Alabama. That's pretty crazy. You wouldn't think that. So that's in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I'm a HuntsvilleBootCamp.com. It's kind of the hub for finding all the, the books and the podcast and website and all that good stuff is on there. That's probably the hub of everything there. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned a book because uh, you're probably, there's probably a bit of your story in that uh, that book as well. We might as well give people a little bit of a teaser. We'll dive into it a bit more later, but uh, what, is, what is the book if people are curious? So it's called Relentless Positivity. So it's just kind of, you know, it, I wrote it during the pandemic because there's so much negativity going on in the world that I wanted to kind of counterbalance that with a, a different approach to health and weight loss and all that good stuff that you weren't really seeing in the media. Guys like yourself are out there getting that message out there every day. But hey, in the mainstream, it's not really out there. So I'm trying to get the po some positive weight loss stories out there. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So you you yourself have quite the story. And uh, we, we want to rewind a little bit here and, and get into the, the backstory. And then we're going to get into the like, you hit, a, you hit a dark spot in life. And how did you find your way out of that? So uh, if we if we re rewind the clock, I'll try and use my words today, <laughs> rewind the clock a few years, because you're still looking quite youthful. We're going to go back to youth a little bit. You know, what's, what's the uh, pre-dark spot, Joe? What's taking place in your life there? Yeah, so um, I was always an athlete in high school. So uh, basketball, football, I was on the basketball team. I practiced yeah. a lot, not a lot of playing, but I was there. I was there. There was, <laughs> I was first row and that yeah, bench yeah. right there. So uh, football is my main sport. So I was always trying to get bigger, you know, faster and stronger. 
And instead I got bigger and fatter and stronger. So I got two out of three. So it's not too bad. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so football is kind of my life. That was my identity in high school. That's what I saw myself. Uh, I, you know, I always thought I'm going to go professional. This, so I'm really good at this. I'm awesome. <laughs> Despite yeah. not being that great, you know, I was all right, but you know, that yeah, was yeah. just, but you know, in high school, you kind of get wrapped up in your, you know, your thing, you find your thing and that's kind of your identity. And that's what I, I loved it. You know, hanging out with my friends out there and playing on Friday nights and all that good stuff. But I ended up, you know, getting up to 250 pounds because, uh, by the way, if you want to gain weight, and I was an aide for one of my coaches, so I could, we had three lunch periods. So I would just go eat lunch three times back to back to back. That's a great way to gain weight if you're looking to gain weight, by the way. So <laughs> right, I did that. Eat lunch so, three times back to back. Yeah, just you know, three, lunch, three lunches, man, as many as you can feed me. So uh, as a teenage boy, you're always hungry anyway. And I was trying to get bigger. So that was, that worked out great. So were um, you playing like offensive line or something or defensive line or? I was, yeah. I started off at, at tight end in my younger years in high school. But if you can't catch and you become overweight, you are an offensive lineman, by the way. That's my <laughs> that's a little tip for me to you. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I moved over there and it was great. So I, down there, I was like one of the smaller guys. I was like, oh, it feels good down here. So uh, we had guys 270, 280, 300 pounds along the line. So I was, I was a smaller guy, but still 250 pounds is, is uh, pretty big. It is. It is. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of weight to be moving around. So, so you're doing this in high school. Did you end up playing, um, university ball or, or how'd that go for you? I did not. So my, my last couple of years I'd played with a broken wrist and just kind of kept putting it off and ignoring it. And, uh, ended up, it had been broken for two years and the, the bone in there had died and I, was, I had to have surgery. So I did, they took a bone out of my hip, shaved a bone off my hip, put it in my wrist. And I was in a cast for six months. So, wow. uh, that was not a great way. So that was kind of the end of the football career right there. So they, they took some, some bone off like your pelvis and used that to try, try and grow a new one. Yeah. Oh, they just, had to, cause they, the thing in there died. The blood flow was cut off for so long that it just, the bone in there just died. And uh, yeah, I was the end of that. So Man, I'm thinking like, is it rotting in there or something? Or like, you know? I guess so. I don't know what was going on. You just, you know, if you ignore that thing, bad things can happen. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so then did your pelvis, wherever they took the bone from, did that like regrow some new stuff? I, that's never bothered me. They just kind of shaved it off there. That was, you know, other than, you know, like the week afterwards when they cut it out of there, just the insi- or insertion point right there. So other than that, everything was fine with that. I've never had any issues with that at all. Okay. So you have almost a bionic wrist. That's right. Well, it's like, I wanted to make a joke about butt and wrist, but I'm not quite sure how I can put the two of them <laughs> together. But it's, uh, it's there somewhere though, right? I'm, I'm sure there's a dad joke in there somewhere. Oh, always. Uh, so they used your butt to help you grow a new wrist. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that put you out of, out of playing football. So what did you do after you graduate high school then? Cause this is your identity. Yeah. You know? So that was uh that's kind of part of my story that, you know, I kind of lost my identity there cause I, I just knew I was going to go and, and play on. I had some looks at D division two football that I was looking at, but um, actually how I discovered uh, my wrist was broken. I was working at a pizza play, the pizza buffet, and I kept pressing on the dough. I was like, man, pizza should not hurt this much. So that's when I got, <laughs> when I got it checked out, like, oh yeah, man, this thing's been broken a long time. So, um, see, so yeah, I was working this job that I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, my football career was over. Uh, I have to top things off. I went ahead and got myself arrested, you know, got one, got oh. in trouble got arrested and ended up on probation. And then my grandmother died. And then my girlfriend broke up with me. Even the family cat died. So it's just all these dominoes just kept falling right in my life. So, um, yeah. I don't know if, I, you know, broke a mirror inside or whatever people say, walk underneath the ladder or whatever, but just things yeah, maybe started falling you, you apart. walked under a ladder, kicked a black cat and broke and, and, and tripped and broke a mirror at the same time or something. It felt like you know. it. it sure did. Yeah. Well, and, and you don't have to share anything you don't want to, but you, say, you, you kind of glossed over, Hey, I got myself into a bit of trouble and got arrested. You know, um, it, it, what, what did you get yourself into? If you care to share? 
Yeah, so some friends of ours, we were out, so we exempted. This is during high school, so this is like the okay. last few days of senior year in high school. So you can exempt your exams. So we exempted our exams, and we were out, and decided so we're going to go have a few beers and a few more and a few more of those. And then uh, the stores were closed, but we still wanted to have a few more beers, so we just broke in there and went and got some. And then okay. turns out that is not legal. You cannot do that. So <laughs> and the police just let us know that that night. So we got we all got to. Uh, nice little escort down to the jail. Right. Yeah. Okay. Was that, did that sober you up at all? Like, was that a bit of a wake up call when, when like, it probably sounds like fun. You're, you're with your buddies. Maybe you're, I don't know, smashing the windows or however you decided to break in there. And it seems like you're having a great old time quick, ha ha ha, grab the beer and run, you know? And then the cops find you kind of what, what runs through your head? Like, what were we thinking, man? What are you <laughs> doing? What are you doing? It's like, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then right. you're just like, now look at this. Yeah. Are you this, are you really this stupid? <laughs> that crossed your mind. Yeah. So then what, what, uh, what, what did the cops say to you? Oh, they just basically just threw us in the ground and like, all right, we, you know, you're going to jail, right? They okay. Just, and then that's about it. So, um, it's pretty, pretty cut and dry case. So there wasn't much, uh, law and order, like, uh, there's no CSI fingerprinting or anything. They pretty much had us dead to rights. So there right. was pretty easy for them. They just dealing with some knucklehead kids, but very serious right. crime, breaking and entering and stealing is a very serious crime. They were just letting us know that, that, um, yeah, this, you, you could be facing some time here. Right. So did they, did they catch you like on the location in the act kind of thing before you managed to run away or, uh, later on that night. So they had okay. eyewitnesses and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they throw, they throw you in jail. Um, did they keep you in there for a little while or was it like an overnighter and then you got to show up in a court case or what was it? What was that? Yeah. So first they, uh, take us to the city jail. And you get processed there, and then the old famous orange jumpsuit and the uh, the numbers profile, all that good stuff, fingerprinting, all all that stuff you see on TV is real, by the way. So you get to yeah. go hang hang out in there, and then spend the night there, and you wake up, and they have breakfast, and uh, we were the heroes because none of us felt like eating. So like, hey, you guys can have our breakfast. So like, oh man, it's chocolate milk and biscuits day. You don't want that? They're like, no, apparently that's a big deal. But I was not feeling hungry, and then you get processed, and you get take over to the county jail. And you get processed out from over there. I don't know details. I don't remember much. It's been a while for now, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a but it's a weird experience when you wake up in jail and you're like, man, I had the worst dream. Ooh, I'm oh, this, still here. This is real. Yeah, right. That's, that's rough. Right. Well, was city jail just kind of like a, a temporary holding place for people? Like this isn't like the hardcore people are incarcerated and have been here for a number of years or whatever. This is just like some I, people are stuck. Yeah. Everybody's pretty cool. Yeah, no one's really messed with anything. County jail looks a little bit more serious, but um, no, I don't have any problems or anything like that. Yeah, and you're you're 18 years old at this time. Just turned 18. <laughs> Just turned 18. Yeah, yeah. That that that's like a bit of wake up call there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> finding yourself in, in jail. Uh, when you woke up and realized you weren't dreaming, what then kind of ran through your head? I was like, man, that ruined my life. You know, I was a good kid. Yeah. You know, I never got in trouble. My mom had to call one of my teachers to tell her, hey, he's not going to be able to take his exam in the morning because he's in jail. And then I had to go back to school and everybody knows what happens. And this is one of those deals when I don't know if they have still have newspapers where you're from, yeah. um, where you're it's all over the newspapers. And I'm yeah. not from a huge town. So it's in the newspapers and uh, what happened and, you know, what's going on, all that good stuff. So everybody knows all these teachers. A lot of a lot of people turn their back on me, coaches I'd had and stuff like that. And there's and there's done with you pretty much well just just like giving up on you and saying like we want nothing to do with you because your reputation is stained kind of thing yeah what, what's wrong with you why would you do that you know yeah. which hey 
you haven't told me anything I've told myself a million times already. So, right, uh, right. Yeah, you know, and I, I think obviously now with like doing doing what I do, I, I hear that and I go, dang, that's like, that's probably like one of the hardest things to face, and probably one of the worst things you can do to somebody who maybe just made a dumb choice, but really didn't wasn't actually trying to cause any serious harm. It was just a bit of a reckless, dumb choice to be like, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, um, yeah. did you ever? Did you? Ever, uh, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but did you ever sort of I don't know reconcile or, or rebuild any of those relationships down the road? A couple of them, yeah, but some of them just, you know, it was like I said, this is the last couple of days of high school, so probably wouldn't see most of them anymore anyway. But uh, some of them just, uh, yeah, I was able to go back and kind of, kind of mend some of those fences and, uh, yeah, yes, you, uh, so you had, you had kind of a lot of things fall on your shoulders, kind of all, all, all at one time, and this was kind of bringing you into a bit of a dark place, or maybe more than a bit of a dark place. I think I'm underselling a little bit here. You know, where, you know, where did you find yourself after all of this sort of, you know, now you've left, you've left high school and you know, maybe it's the summer you're trying to figure out what, what are you going to do with your life? You know, what was kind of going on then? You know, just like anything else, when, once you just focus on the bad, that's where your life goes. You get these blinders on, right? And all you see is a negativity. And I was just staring at, oh man, you've ruined your life. You, and I ended up being on probation. That was one thing, you know, and I'm right. still, and every morning I wake up, and I'm just this fat guy who's no longer a football player. I'm just fat now, right? So it's just no longer it's no longer useful, right? So I'm not, right. I'm not walking around at 250 pounds for any reason now. So I, that's a visual reminder. Every morning I wake up, there I am. I'm working at a pizza place I don't like. Um, I've just I'm injured. You know, I've got all this. There's nothing, no no bright future here. I don't know what's going to happen. And I just like I said, it kind of goes into a spiral and just keep depressing, getting depressed because, you know, when you focus on things, that's all you figure out in your world. I didn't see all the good things I had in my life. All I saw was the negativity. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of a kind of a dark road that you're going down. And we know we know in your story, you, you got to the place where you were uh, you mentioned like feeling suicidal. Was this was this happening around the same time, 18 years old or was this a couple of years down the road? At the same time, it was yeah. actually um, when I was on probation, I was, I was, uh, my mom had to take me to probation. I didn't have a car. So my mom would have to take me to pro to see my probation officer. And it was at the courthouse. So I'd ask, hey, can you please park like two blocks away and let me walk from here and not, not have my mom drop me off in front of the courthouse? So um, just every month going over there just was a, another reminder that I wasn't where I wanted to be and my life was terrible. You know, it's just, yeah. It was on that walk that uh, I was walking to see my probation. I was like, man, I, I'm, I think I'm done. You know, I'm I'm just going to be out of here. You, you didn't really see a way out at that point in time? No, because that's, that's all I was focused on. I, you know, I, right, didn't, yeah. I didn't see a way out. That's all I saw. And, you know, the, it's just something is just getting out of bed was the hardest thing in my life. You know, just yeah. well, why do I want to get up and go face another day where I don't want to be here and I don't like what's going on? I'm not, I don't even want to get out of this bed. Yeah. What, what was kind of the, the you, what do you feel like was kind of like the lowest point in, you know, the, the darkest point? And then, you know, and then we can kind of dive into like, what, what helped you pull out of that? Yeah. So probably that lowest point was walking on probation. I had to go ask my probation officer, Hey, can I go across state lines to go to my grandmother's funeral? You know, that's pretty low when your mom, your mom takes you to courthouse and you got to ask somebody else for permission to go to your grandmother's funeral. I was like, man, Everything else keeps getting, it gets getting any worse. I didn't want to ask that question because every time it did, it did get worse. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just like, man, this just, this is, this sucks. You know, just one of those, you're like, this just no good. Yeah. So, but, but obviously the fact that you're still here having this conversation today, means that you didn't, you didn't stay in this dark hole forever. You know, how did, how did you find your way out of that? Uh, the Kind of the turning point was when I kind of looked at my life and I decided, Hey, 
I grew up going and going to church. So mm-hmm. um, I'm a man of faith. It, it kind of seeped in there. I wasn't one of those kids, like super religious kids in high school or anything, but it was, the message was in there. So yeah. um, I didn't do that to God. And I didn't do want to do that to my parents. I couldn't imagine them having to face me doing that to myself. So once I took that off the table, I was like, well, that's off the table. Then I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to, something's got to change. So the first thing I started doing is kind of, well, I'm going to, I'm going to start losing some weight. So I'm going to, I want to start there. I just want to, uh, cause you know, I, I have a saying that I tell my clients now that action alleviates anxiety. If you can just take some kind of step, it just feels so much better. Even the problem is not, nothing has changed, but you're doing something towards that goal. It can really help you. And I just felt like, Oh, let me focus on this rather than all this other stuff that's going bad. Let me focus on this and start figuring that out. And, and we'll take it from there. I love that action alleviate. I'm just literally writing this down right now. Action alleviates anxiety. You know, um, that that's a brilliant and easily memorable phrase. And, and you're right. When we're actually doing something as opposed to ruminating on a problem, it's a little bit harder to feel anxious about it because it's like, okay, I'm actually taking steps to solve this problem. So you, you, you get on the road. Okay. I'm, I'm going to start losing weight here. And did you know much about losing weight or, I mean, obviously you knew about gaining weight and playing football, but when yeah. you decided you're going to lose weight, how, how did you start going about that? Uh, the first thing I did is start reading food labels. Before that, I didn't, I didn't care. I was shoveling everything. I was like, Hey, it's got all this writing on here. Maybe I'll check this out. What does this mean? Like, Oh, there's, there's calories and there's what these ingredients are. And I just started there and just, well, um, just started calories in calories out. Just start right there. Let me just start reducing some of these and start eating a little bit healthier. And I was still on my cast. I was, I was in a cast for six months, so I couldn't Mm -hmm. really do a whole lot of exercise. So I was doing some lower body stuff and walking around, but mainly just through nutrition, started figuring out, kind of teaching myself. And this was kids. This was pre-internet. I couldn't just go on Google and say, how do you lose weight? It wasn't, <laughs> yes. We had some uh, world book encyclopedias from 1984. I could have looked in there in the W's <laughs> maybe. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can maybe go to your library and try and find some, some weight loss book and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, you and I are probably very somewhat similar in age. I think I've just ticked over 40. I'm not sure where you're at if I'm yeah, spotting I'm, you. A I'm couple. 45. Yeah. Okay, we're so right you- around the same age. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I remember getting email when I was like 13 years old and it was a big deal or 14 years old. And I was like, whoa, you know, and we would like message each other back and forth to see how, how long it took for the email to get to the other person's computer that's sitting right beside you. (laughs) Like, yeah, if you want to feel old, Hey kids, the internet came in the mail back in the day. Yeah. (laughs) Used to mail you AOL. Oh man. Yeah. That it's, it's a world that's like, even for us is like almost unfathomable. So you're trying to find your way out of this, you know, kind of on your own and, and by counting calories, you started having, having some success here. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't really so much that I was, you know, tracking how many calories every day. It was just, maybe I'll start reducing some of these and making healthier choices and it'll mm-hmm. start coming off. Yeah. And I think I I really like that approach because it's actually a much simpler approach. I mean, I think we now live in in the information age, really the information overload age where there's so much and not only that so much conflicting and and so many people just like competing and shouting as loud as they can. And um, it it really, you know, it really leaves people feeling stuck and almost paralyzed. And you you just took a very simple approach. Like I'm just gonna eat a little bit less of this junky stuff and eat a little bit more of this good stuff and kind of see where that goes. Um, so then how did you end up getting, becoming a fitness trainer then? So I ended up, uh, I thought I wanted to do physical therapy. That's where I started. So okay. I, I went to Auburn university and, um, I, I thought, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do physical therapy. And then they brought out something called chemistry and I was taking this class. You may have heard of chemistry. My dad was actually <laughs> a chemistry major. So yeah, I can do this. So I'm in, the, I'm in a room. It's like an auditorium seating. There's 400 people in there. And this dude is writing on the dry erase board. 
And he closed it down and starts right. I didn't get the first one. He closed it down. He starts writing on the second one. He's got these, there's stuff everywhere. And I don't know what's going on the whole semester. Like I didn't, yeah. I, I failed that part so bad. The lab, I did okay. I can figure that out. I, I know my way around a Bunsen burner, but yeah. the in, in class stuff, I failed that so bad. I was like, this is also, here's an old thing. So I went through the book. Hey, what does not have chemistry and math, a bunch of math in it. So uh, there's something called health promotion. It's my it's uh, exercise physiology track can be in there. It can be cardiac rehab, that type of stuff. So I chose this major called health promotion. I was like, oh, well, I lost weight and, and I felt great. And man, I would love to help other people do the same thing. This is this is perfect. This, this is ideal. Yeah. So that, that got you down, to, down the track of studying this. And there was like no further. It's funny because I'm, I'm a former chemistry major. <laughs> wow. Look at that, man. Yeah. Not, not a rocket scientist though, but uh, yeah, former chemistry major anyways. So you decided to go down this track of like, um, yeah, personal, personal fitness trainer. Um, once you, once you graduated, did you, did you end up starting a gym or, or where did you go from there? So uh, my last uh, semester, we were, I did an internship on this Redstone Arsenal. It's an army base here. And okay. I did an internship on there and got, ended up getting hired on right after that. Oh, fantastic. So, um, and I know we're obviously fast forwarding a little bit here, but, uh, you know, eventually you decided to, to kind of start your own, start your own business. Um, how far down the track was it before, before you launched this? So it's about nine years of working there at the same place. And I was also training people in their homes and I was working for a hospital, you know, as trainers, you gotta, you gotta work a lot of hours, you know, yeah, yeah, not yeah. always fantastic. So you, <laughs> you figure you, out these you different do, ways. You do it for the passion, not for the pay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, if you keep at it, you can do all right, but the beginnings it, it's rough. You gotta, you gotta hang in there. So long days, long hours. So, uh, <laughs> just on the side, I, I started with one class, started a business, an outdoor fitness class for women, just on the side with one class. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's where my business started. That was 2009. So I started my internship and got hired on in 2000 and then 2009 I started my business. Okay. Now you mentioned that you you train only women. And that's that's an interesting fact because as far as I can tell you're a man. <laughs> yes sir, you are very perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> like, all signs point to the fact that this is probably the case, you know. Um so how did how, how does it sort of come about that you end up training only women and, and why not train men? Uh so I always ask people, you know, if you had a choice, who would you train? And most people right. say, yeah, I'd, I'd probably train women. But, you know, for me, it was half personal, half business decision. So one was, you know, I would do tours for these ladies who would come into the gym and they were going to check it out and I'd show them around. And then uh, so many of them, you could just see it in their eyes that I don't feel comfortable here. I don't like the vibe in here. It's just, just not my place. Uh, okay. you know? This is when you're working as a trainer at like the, uh, the army gym there. And the hospital as well. So I do okay, tours yeah. on both of them. Yeah. So I, I got a lot of experience. I got to a lot of people come through there. And now I think about my mom who would never set foot in a gym. She might go walk right. on a treadmill or something like that, but she doesn't feel comfortable in that environment. Um, and there's nothing else like that at the time. There was curves for women. If you remember that, they, um, mm. curves for women, there's kind of circuit training on machines. If you haven't heard of it, it was the only thing just for women. So I knew that right. I wanted to start a community where they could not to worry about hair or makeup or dudes hitting on them. They could have a kind of community of their own. And also all my best personal training clients were always women. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, they're, they're tougher. They smell better. They look better, you know, across <laughs> the board, they're always better. And, you know, they, they gel quicker in, in group atmospheres. I was noticing that. So just all these things were coming together. That, Super hey, supportive. Like it's just oh, a really, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm going to start something, it's going to be this. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's kind of ironic because I think over ninety percent of my clientele are female as well, and it wasn't what I set out to do actually. But it turns out women, women are, are better at asking for help mm-hmm. when they need it, and they're they're not afraid to. They're, you're right, they, and this isn't knocking dudes. I mean, look, I, I love being a guy, but uh, it just it's just some some things that you kind of discover that like women form community better. They Absolutely. you know. But I think it's the biggest thing is their willingness to ask for help. They don't seem to be afraid. Maybe that's something that we have to change in masculine culture where we make it something that's not seen as a sign of weakness for men when they put up their hand and say, I could use a bit of help here. I think you nailed it. And also, you can't still bench 225. This is not high school or college. Guys always think they can put 225. I don't care how long it's been since they worked out or when yeah, they've they lifted. They throw two plates on the bars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah load it up. Yeah. 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 So you ended up you ended up actually writing a book called Relentless Positivity. So you went you went from this very very dark place where you're even feeling suicidal, wondering what the hell heck you're going to do with your life, and uh, to eventually writing a book called Relentless Positivity that, that you wrote. Now people might hear this term relentless positivity and think, yeah, well, there's a lot of negative stuff in the world uh, right now. Like, what is this idea of relentless positivity? Uh, for me, I just describe it as you know, positivity is a choice. You know, okay. when you wake up every morning, it's just like putting on a shirt. You pick out what shirt you want to. You pick. You have to pick your attitude. You know, when you look at uh, a situation, people, two people go through the same situation, a loss or whatever's going on, whatever, something bad happened in their life. One is completely crushed mm-hmm. and the other one even gets stronger. You know, it's usually, yeah. you know, it's, it's their choices, right? Just like me when I was, you know, I was going through something like that. The other two guys I was with, they kind of breeze right through. They were both off into the military. They had their careers going. They both moved away, saw the world, all that kind of stuff. They were fine. You know, mm-hmm. they got the, they were, they're much better off than I was. Um, so you kind of take three people and two, uh, two out of three are fine. And I was crushed by that. And then, yeah. and it's, it's just kind of your choices in life. You wake up and you get to choose, you know, how, how am I going to face this? Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how do you then make a tough choice, like make a positive choice or how do you find positivity? Cause I, undoubtedly like between now and then, like obviously we, we, we've glossed over a lot of details in one sense, but you went from a dark place to being, you know, a, a respected personal trainer to now having your own business and, and being a published author, but undoubtedly you still have some, some tough days and some, and, and some tough experiences. And I'm kind of curious, what is a tough experience that you went through where this mindset of relentless positivity helped you navigate that? Uh, so the February of this year, my older brother passed away. So this is something that uh, I've just man. been going through. And uh, he was two years older than me. So 47 years old, had just turned 47, you know, and uh, man, I don't, I don't want anyone to go through that. Seeing your parents lose, lose their firstborn child. I mean, it's been completely awful. You yeah. know, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but uh, the way I, the way I live my life going forward is the way I can honor my brother. You know, if mm-hmm. I stayed, he wouldn't want me to be depressed and down in the dumps. And, and man, if that happens to people, that, that that's okay. People feel their feelings and they go through different ways, but I didn't want to do that. I want, I mean, I got to do his eulogy and that was a great honor. I got to do that, man. I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get through it because my, yeah. my pastor sat down with the family and said, well, does anyone want to say anything at the service? And in my head, I said, absolutely not. Nope. Right. No, right. But yeah. nobody wanted, nobody wanted to. Right. But I wanted yeah. to honor my brother and yeah. I was, I was able to do that. And a lot of it was positive talk to myself. It's like, Hey, here's what we're going to do. If we can talk to this, just these mantras over and over that, you know, you can mm-hmm. honor your brother this way. They're just positive self-talk. And I was able to get through it. You know, so it was something that I leading up to the day, I wouldn't even sure if I was going to break down, if I could even walk up there. Um, but it's just something yeah. that, that, you know, you go through these things that you get to choose, right? I, I get to choose how I'm going to honor my brother. I'm going to do that any way I can. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your relationship? Like your brother's two years older. What was your relationship like with him over the years? Oh, we're tight. Yeah. We're, we have a real close family relationship. Um, yeah. he lives five minutes from my house, you know, and he's got, yeah. he's got twin boys that are my son's age. They're all 16 years old. 
So uh, we, we've, I mean, when I used to live, when I lived in Ireland, he came over and we traveled, man, we made some great memories traveling the coast of Ireland. We, we lived in Germany together. We were little. Um, so man, the thing about when he passed away, something that I didn't realize, you know, that, you know, half the memories go with him because he was the one that always remembered everything. So he was right. the older brother. So he, he remembered yeah. all he, he's like, Hey, you remember? No, man, I don't remember that. But he had <laughs> like all these stories that, you know, were, I just depended on him for that, that side of the, the, the thing. So, man, we were, we were tight and always, you know, we have a pretty tight, close knit family. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if I may ask, and again, it's always the caveat, you don't have to share anything you don't want to. Was it, was it a sudden unexpected passing? Did he fall ill or? He did, he did get ill and, it was kind of both. He'd been sick over the years. Uh, his body just kind of shut down. Uh, so the day before he passed, well, he, he got put on life support. The day before I went to see him at the hospital and talking and uh, I, I was leaving. I say, Hey, love you, bro. And he said, and I said, I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. He said, Hey, love you, bro. And that was the last words I spoke to him because the next day, it just a few hours, even after I left, like he just completely crashed. His body just yeah. shut down and basically put him on life support. We had to make that decision, you know, to take him off life support. But uh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 which is like the, the most heartbreaking decision to, to have oh, to make. Awful, and, and, man. Yeah. And then, and then he's got, he said he's got twin boys that are 16 years old and, and, uh, you, you know, you're, you're probably the favorite uncle if I, if I could say, you know, and, I don't know. Uh, my, my younger brother's pretty cool. So they might like him <laughs> a little better. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, did you find yourself kind of a, a little bit in, in a de facto, uh, I don't want to say dad role, but like really kind of having to step up into that role as well a little bit. I just, uh, I just let him, Hey, whatever you need, I'm here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, he's on, my older brother's he's on life support and they say the last thing is they're hearing, they can still hear whether they can respond or not. It's still getting in there. You know, one thing that I told him is, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of everything you've ever cared about on this earth. You know, yeah, and that's that's the biggest one. You know, his wife and his kids, you know, whatever they need. I hope they know that I'm, I've told them, and I'm here. Whatever they ever need, like I said, I'm down the road, and we're right here. Yeah, man, and that that's an incredibly powerful story. And I actually wasn't aware of that loss until you just shared that with me when I was asking that question. That wasn't the answer I was expecting. So, I mean, uh, kudos to you for even just having the courage to 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 share that and bring that. Out. I really appreciate that. It's very very heartfelt. Um, and so, and, and I think also this is really evidence that. Um, Relentless positivity isn't this idea of just trying to put a rainbow in a turd. Right. Um, it's it's about make, making a decision, and and I love how you framed it. Like you know, you your brother wouldn't want you to to walk around and and mope and 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 be. Obviously, you're going to grieve and you're going to mourn because that's that's a tremendous loss, you know. But uh, your brother's memory isn't served by by you wallowing in a dark hole, but by you saying, "I'm going to do whatever I can to um, honor his memory, living the best life that I can, and even making sure that I'm in a position to take care of whatever whatever he needs, uh, he, he would have wanted taken care of." So yeah, and um, one of the things I said, you know, part of the Yuli is that, that good will come from this, and I didn't know what that would look like, and I didn't know, you know, what, what that, but to, for people to keep their eyes open that that something good will come from this. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I've heard from so many people that, hey, I, I decided I decided to go to rehab after your brother's funeral or, hey, I, I adopted a cat. <laughs> you know, he was, yeah, a, he was a big yeah. cat guy. You know, these all these little things that uh, people that, you know, it's good things that happen. That, that, that uh, we obviously nobody ever wants to lose their brother or loved ones or something like that. But, hey, some good can come from it. And that, mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. And you and you nailed it. It's not just faking like, hey, everything's fine. You know, everything's okay <laughs> where you're cracking yeah. up inside and everything's falling yeah, yeah. apart. That's yeah. not like that, but it is, you know, you get to make that choice. And, and man, I've, I've had hard days. Like, you know, I just, I was just missing the other day and broke down the other day, but, and it's, it's been months and they just kind of come yeah. out of nowhere. 
but hey, I pick myself back up and it, it's okay, yeah. like I said, to feel those feelings and then move on. Yeah, you know, I, I've interviewed a number of people who've, who've gone through like grievous experiences where, where they just experience something like that. And I think um, one of the lessons I've learned around grief is that, you know, it just it just comes and goes in waves. You can't really expect when it's going to come, but when it comes, sure. just give it, give it space yeah. and, and go through it. And it's been said that the waves, maybe they don't ever stop coming, but uh, maybe they, they, they get a little further, a little further apart and it gets a little bit easier as time goes on, but it's never easy. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think, you know, maybe we could say that being a man of faith as well, I'm not sure. I imagine he was as well, but that, that probably makes things a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. It sure, it sure does. You know, like I said, you, you never want to lose somebody, but, um, he was in a lot of pain, been sick years and stuff like that. So, uh, it was almost almost a blessing that he's no longer in pain. He's no longer hurting, and mm. you know he's he's in a better place. Yeah, you know, for for those who are listening, you can't see, but Joe's wearing a shirt called Hope Dealer. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I love that shirt. And what what does that mean to you? This idea of a hope dealer. So for me, this uh, that's that's what I am now. Because every every morning I get up, I get the chance to change someone's life. Because yeah. as you know, if you can start changing the physical, it happened with me, it happened with tons of my clients, it can affect everything else in your world. Everything's tied together. Your mental, physical, emotional, all that stuff is tied together in your life. And you can start changing something. That, that's what I get to every day. Just encourage people, give them hope. And also something we, we do as part of my podcast is we give away the Hope Dealer of the Month. It's someone that's doing something cool mm. in the community. I have someone not too long ago that's been feeding homeless people for 30 years. I mean, she is an amazing person. Or this, this local coach slash teacher who he basically has 100 kids under his wing. That He goes to their PTA meetings. He coaches them. He's all over the place. One of those unsung heroes nobody hears about. That's what we try to find in the community. So lift up, lifting up people like that and just and that's just the way I, I live my life. Is it, if especially when I'm feeling down, when I can go out and encourage somebody else, it's going to help them, and that in turn will turn around and help me. I, I love that, and it's so true. I often talk about um, it with one of my clients in some of the live streams that I do. It's like if you can go out today and do something kind, you help two people. You help whoever it was you're you're, you're bestowing an act of kindness on, but you also help yourself. You know, absolutely. There's something about serving others and and being selfless that actually does something for us. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels like we live in maybe a more self-absorbed and selfish kind of era, the era of social media and digital media and, and, and you know, TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's amazing when we can still see people out there doing this kind of stuff. And you mentioned a podcast. Uh, you, you've got a podcast. What, what's the name of it? Uh, I keep I keep a theme going, man. I'm not very creative. So Relentless Positivity, same thing, just kind of uplifting stories. This one time, I got to tell you about this one guest I had. This guy's name was Jonathan McLernan. <laughs> this dude has been through it. I mean, this guy has a life story. You guys may have heard him. If you haven't, you got to check it out. I think he's got a podcast too. You may have seen that. But this yeah. guy nearly <laughs> nearly got murdered. He's lost over 100 pounds. He's out there changing the world now. You should check it. It's a really good episode. But That, that was a great episode, man. I should, I should really throw that link in the show notes as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You did awesome, man. I got so much great feedback about you on that. Oh man, that's, that's so good to hear. And it's, it's why we have conversations like this and we record it in public is because there's just a lot of good that can come from, from stuff like this. And, you know, even, even hearing about your, your loss, you know, as I said, I actually wasn't expecting that to be the answer to the question. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned one other thing I want to touch on that is you said that mindset is more important than the mechanics of weight loss. Um, when we talk about, first of all, I could say the mechanics of weight loss, maybe, maybe we could define that for people what we're actually referring to. And then, then we can get into why do you think that mindset matters more than mechanics? Sure. There's, you know, there's obviously you go on the internet and you can look up a million ways to lose weight. It, there's and like, I didn't have that. I had the world book encyclopedia, right? So you can have so <laughs> many ways and a lot of them are really, really good. 
you know? But yeah. if you don't have the correct mindset going into that, if, if you already think that weight loss is hard or I'm going to fail or all these things, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy that you, I guarantee, because when it gets tough, that's when you're going to, oh, well, this is when it gets hard and I'm just going to quit. It, it happens yeah. so many times because you see that you're like, well, you hit this brick wall. Well, this is where I hit. This is where I quit because, you know, quitting is a habit like anything else. So if you keep if you've had these experience in your life where weight loss is hard and then you give up and it starts to cycle back over again. So if you go on that already expecting to fail, then you probably will. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you said quitting is a habit and it's true. Uh, but it's a very interesting way to think about it, you know, as a repeated behavior pattern quitting because that's we, we can think about a habit as just kind of a repeated behavior pattern and and the idea of quitting is really our brain saying i just can't do this anymore it's actually easier if i stop trying yeah and in the and the truth is in the short term it is easier but in the long term it's much much harder much harder and so we we often hear this term mindset go get thrown around but you're a very practical grounded down to earth kind of guy and I, I i love how you explain things when you're thinking about mindset how do you, how do you explain to people what mindset is and how they can develop a positive mindset uh, for me, it's just kind of your outlook on life. You know, when, you know, I do, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I don't know if you remember Saturday Night Live. They had Stuart Smalley on there. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily Gosh, that one. People but I, I do. I have a, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, we're really dating ourselves right here. If there's young people yeah. listening to <laughs> But, if, you know, I've got a dry erase board that I've got all these kind of mantras for business or personal, whatever, these kind of things that I repeat to myself. And then I look, and here's the key part. I look for the evidence that it's becoming true. You know, for one of them is I attract positive people into my life. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. I look, hey, look at all these positive people I'm surrounded by. Or, hey, for my business, money flows to me easily from multiple locations. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just something. Mm -hmm. And then that's one of those things that when something happens out of nowhere type of stuff, that's my evidence. You know, when you get, mm -hmm. a, you get a client that's been, they've, maybe they've been uh, dormant for five years and all of a sudden they're ready to start training again. That's kind of one yeah. of those things that, hey, this stuff starts coming in and Put this stuff to the test. It's kind of weird. So I have kind of all these mantras and these titans that I, I say to myself, repeat them all the time. And whatever, however you want to look at it, you cool woo-woo science or whatever you want to put it out in the world. Or, you know, I don't like all that, uh, you know, what do they call it? So the uh, law of attraction or yeah, or, the law of yeah. attraction, the secret and all that stuff. And then some there, there's something to this stuff. So there's something that because then when you look for the evidence is true, then you're gonna start doing these behaviors that maybe mm -hmm. I start mm -hmm. acting more like a positive person that would attract positive people, that I do the business mechanics that make me the money. So that's all these things. But like I said, it all gets back to your mindset and these things that hey, this is what I want in my life, and it helps you also get clear of what you want. Because if you don't mm -hmm. know what you want, it's kind of hard to get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a simple guy. You nailed it earlier, man. I'm a simple guy. Yeah. If you don't know what you want, it's kind of hard to get it. <laughs> yeah. Or how do you know you got it? You may already have it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're also very, very quotable, but what I love here, uh, cause I look at this from sort of a brain-based perspective, you mentioned like looking for evidence that it's coming true. So what these, these mantras do in a sense is they, they calibrate the filters of your brain. If I could put it that way. Sure, so yeah. the way that we can think about this is your brain has uh, a filter because it receives so much information in a day that over 98% of that information gets filtered out of your conscious awareness. You do not pay attention to it. And so if you have on the filter, like you had early on in your life, you had this filter where my life sucks and everything mm -hmm. is terrible and it's going yeah. downhill. That was the filter, meaning that you're, you filtered out or your brain filtered out all the evidence to the contrary, filtered out all the evidence. Hey, look, 
I got my mom driving me to the courthouse. My mom still loves me enough that she's driving me to the darn courthouse. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, she has not abandoned, but, but your mind's filtering that stuff out where you get to the place where, no, the evidence that I'm seeing is I'm, I'm like a waste of skin. I'm, I'm worthless. Right. My life is meaningless, all that kind of stuff. And you're filtering out the other 98%. It's really powerful thing, but what is the 2% we want to filter into our brain, into our conscious awareness? That's what helps us to basically be looking for evidence that it's coming true. Yeah. So if, if people people haven't heard of the you know the reticular activator, kind of what you're talking about mm-hmm. there. That it if is. You've ever, if you've ever bought a new car and it's a red, say it's a red Corvette, all of a sudden everybody's driving red Corvettes. Like my wife, we got a Subaru Outback a couple years ago. Do you know how many Subaru Outbacks are out there? I didn't. They're everywhere. If you buy one, look, start looking around for Subaru Outbacks. They are everywhere. But before, yeah. I didn't. I didn't care because we didn't own one, so I didn't know. I didn't notice. But they're everywhere. Nothing changed but my car. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, yeah. The reticular activating system is the technical term for it. It's a bundle of nerves at the base of your brain that kind of acts like a filter, basically. So if people want to find you, they're like, Hey man, you know what? I like this guy. I like his style. I like his accent. I like the fact that he's just down to earth. He feels really relatable. Uh, where, where, where do they find you? So my website's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know anything about websites. It's all right. I guess huntsvillebootcamp.com is my website on there. Hey, if you're on Facebook, you friend me personally. I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. I tell dad jokes just like Jonathan home here. <laughs> yeah. So hey, uh, Joe Martin on Facebook. Uh, my picture is uh, I'm sure me. Joe, there's not very many Joe Martins on probably Facebook. Probably not. There's probably only like a million of them. <laughs> no, you just look for. Uh, hey, I'm friends with Jonathan. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah, we're, com- we're common friends. But and then on Instagram at huntsvillebootcamp.com or huntsvillebootcamp. Those are probably the biggest ones. Um, mm. Yeah, and the the, uh, the podcast Relentless Positivity. You can look for it on that. I tell you, look for that Jonathan McLaren next episode. That that one's what the kids say. It's fire. <laughs> it, it was lit. It was lit. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, what I'm that's talking like, about. That, that's me trying to use like <laughs> lingo from like, yeah, man, we, we had totally different lingo back in the day. Um, <laughs> you know, if you were to, we, we've covered a lot and you've really shared a lot. And I, I love that you just like wear your heart on your sleeve. And uh, if you were to just, you know, bring something and say, here's one actual nugget I would like people to take away from this. Actually, I'm going to hit pause right there because you also have a book called Relentless Positivity. I want to make sure, sure that people know about this book. Because I think it's well worth the read. If they want to get a read of it, where do they find it? Uh, you can find it on Amazon, right there on Amazon. Yeah, it's the best place. Good old fashioned Amazon.com, Relentless Positivity. Go check out his book. I think that book will, you know, given how quotable this guy is listening to him on the podcast, uh, you know that that book is going to be filled with absolute gold, without filler, without fluff, To <clears throat> excuse me, to the point. And so now I always like to give people something actionable to take away, a little nugget of gold that they can take away from this conversation today. If you would, if you were to encourage people with the kind of like one piece of actionable advice, what would that be? Now, speaking of action, I want to tell you that action comes before motivation. It's not the other way mm-hmm. around because, hey, I'm a fitness guy. I do this for a living. It's very rare that I'm motivated to go work out. You know, like today, I did not want to work out, but mm-hmm. you know what I did? I got started. I said, here's what I tell people. Can you work out for five minutes? Could you do a five minute workout? Mm-hmm. Most people say, yeah, I could do that. Cause that you can look at that rather than compare to that. Hey, I got to go run 10 miles or work out for an hour. Hey, maybe I'll just go do the warm up for an online workout or something like that. But Hey, if you can do the five minutes, just do one, what it could be a one minute workout. Cause most of the time, what you'll find is you're going to do the whole workout. Once you get started, the hardest part is getting started. They all, there's that old saying that the heaviest way to the gym is the front door. Just getting there <laughs> and getting in the door is the hardest part. So just think about some what small action you could do. Maybe you could just, hey, plan out a meal for this week. Go for a five-minute walk. Do something so small you think it's not even it's just inconsequential, it won't matter at all. But what it is, it's going to create momentum. 
And once you get going, it'll snowball into other things. But you, if you can just get yourself going, that's the easiest way to get going, get started. Getting started is the absolute key to anything. So talk yourself into a small action and the motivation will come later. I love that. The heaviest weight at the gym is the front door. I just written. Yeah. I don't know who said that. That's not one of mine. I stole that from somebody, but I don't know who it was. <laughs> yeah, but co- coming coming in your your accent is absolutely brilliant. I mean, because uh, of course I don't have an accent at all. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I had one. You didn't know he had one until you started talking to a Canadian. <laughs> Well, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing, wearing your heart in your sleeve and bringing some absolute gold to this podcast. Uh, Thank you so much, man. Hey, appreciate you having me and what the work you're doing out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you. Because if you're still here, your story's not done yet. So keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.